Hello, and welcome back to Out of the Box MTG, where we think and play out of the box. We're excited to have you here today. Um, It's going to be a little bit more of a lighthearted episode. Last week, we got nitty gritty on gameplay theory. Today, we're going to take a step back, be more lighthearted, and just going to be talking about decks that we've never been able to make work. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Quentin, and tonight on the cast, we've got Jake. Hey, guys. How's it going? And we got Simon. What's up? Simon back for his second episode. We're excited. Jake, Simon, how are you guys doing? Super good. good. Yeah, no complaints. Just working all day, podcasting all night. We love it. Yeah, we love it. Um, Yeah, we're excited for the cast today. Like I said, it's going to be a little more lighthearted, a little more fun. Talking about decks that we, we, we we love the idea of. I've tried to make work, but couldn't quite find the rhythm. But before we get into that, just want to talk about um, some fun games that we've played. Jake or Simon, any any good games you've played recently you want to talk about? Yeah, um, I actually recently, like a week and a half, two weeks ago. So our pod, the three of us plus Logan, who's normally on, um, we have a pre-con league, which I think Logan's talked about before. Um, and I have a deck run by, um, St. Trafter Rim Carlos. And obviously it's the Confoke deck, Jeskai. And week one of this pre-con league, I got totally smoked. And the game I want to talk about is the following week. <laughs> Wait, hold because... on. I want to clarify. You did not get totally smoked week one. You made a, like a massive army and then we had to kill you because we were dead to you like <laughs> a turn away. So totally smoked. It seems very relative and, and maybe a little biased there. I think Simon, I think, I think probably a little bit of it is in past pre-con leagues. You haven't performed maybe as well <laughs> as you should. So My you... game one pre-con leagues are always last place. That's what <laughs> hey, St. Traft and Rem really like popped very fast. So it's true. It was pretty. Yeah, scary. no, it, no. And that's true. I just, yeah, I remember getting, pinged by Shalai and Halar for one over and over and over. And so going into week two, which is the game I'm going to talk about. Um, I was pretty, I was not afraid to remove everything and to play a little more with, you know, with a chip on my shoulder. And so um, I drew into some nice board wipes that were very one-sided. The first board wipe I ended up playing after having a good board was hour of reckoning destroyed all non-token creatures. And then like, Two turns after that, played an Elspeth and wiped all the four greater power creatures. And then, like, I think it was the very next turn. always after I cast Elena and Azor and then uh, got wiped. No, seriously. And then, like, the very next turn, I cast an Austere Command and smoked everyone's big things again. So it was, I just had a firm grip on the game the whole time. Like, it was super fun to just play a little bit different than how I normally play. I feel like sometimes I, want to feel the board and i'm a little worried about just board wiping you know or removing you know plane removal but this time i didn't really care about anything and it was it was pretty stinking fun so did you win no <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's bad. something else yeah that's something else to remember is you might not win by not caring about anything <laughs> uh i will say I, i've noticed some of that too sometimes and and it, maybe it's a segue here but um we played uh it would have been a week or two ago um i was playing my my rail deck and she is just a freaking house um she's a mono white deck that 
makes a lot of soldiers really, really fast, has a lot of synergy with it. And then I also have a suite of protection spells and silence effects so that once I'm ready to finish things off, I'll just make it so you don't cast spells on your turn. Um, It's a pretty well-tuned deck, I'd say, but because it's a well-known deck at our play group, I it's auto-targeted even before she's doing anything. There was a game where I missed like two land drops before turn five and Logan like just would not come off the gas. He's like, like you're the second you rhinos. come back in the game, we're dead. So, And yeah. I was like getting stomped as the guy that had nothing going, but I knew that was fine. And I think that's, that's um, something I'm noticing is in a regular play group, some of that etiquette um, that you may have at your LGS or at, at um, events where it's, Hey, we're going to, respect certain things, not do certain things. When you got your play group, past games matter. I'll, I'll cash a hellish rebuke while I'm dying and you'll, you'll pay the price, you know? Right, so, right. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, the last, the last one that I played my rel, um, there was, there were some misplays. I'm pretty good at misplays, but uh, it, it, well, I've been tracking my commander games. This is some, the thing I wanted to mention um, for maybe a month now. And one, interesting stat with my my rail games is the games that i lose i've cast her zero times and the games that i win i cast her one or more times and so uh i noticed that um and was as we were playing uh the last game we played with her i was hadn't cast her yet and i'm like thinking i'm gonna die if i don't cast her so there must be some correlation um as the game progressed though i realized that the reason for that is because of the hate that she draws. I only cast her when I'm ready to finish the game. When I've got the board presence, I have the protection in hand. So that's why it's not that she, I mean, she is the one finishing the game, but if I just cast her on turn four on curve, that doesn't mean that I'm going to win. I think it's because right. of that pattern with our existing play group. So uh, yeah, that, that, it was a fun game though. I, I did pull off the win, but by a miracle. So <laughs> Yeah, my rel is uh, is a house, and it's yeah, it is the interesting dynamic of playing in a regular play group. Is you know, you know what's threatening. I we've talked about this deck a number of times, but like Daxus is one of those decks that's really, if you've never played against it, is really unassuming until it's not. Um, but that's our play group, uh, our play group knows that, and so I can't get away with the sneaky bits. So I've actually had to alter how I build the deck just to lean into some of those things because I know that people are gonna. They're going to target it no matter what. So I need to be ready for that and play like that. And so it's it's just one of the fun bits of being in a regular play group is it forces you to build and think a little bit differently. And Jake had mentioned this before the cast, but you know, a lot of a lot of the content out there is really talked about and spoken about like what's going on in LGS and games people are playing with random players. But we don't really get a lot of opportunities to go and play in environments like that. And so we really pretty much exclusively play in this pod, or maybe I have a group of friends here. I'm, I'm not, I don't live close to anybody here as part of the, the out of the box MPG group, the little crew we have here. Um, I, I live out of state. And so I have another group in New York where I live. Um, but it's, it's fun to just have your little, your little pods and each of them kind of develop their own meta. And that's fun. It's, and it's, it's actually one of the games I played recently shows, the differences between pods as well. So I, I just recently finished building 
uh, a $25 Samut Vizier of Noctamoon deck, the new one from Aftermath. And I played it with this group, with Simon, Jake, and Logan, and Samut absolutely went off. It was awesome. The deck really, Problem. really impressed me. Did it win? Turns out, remember. It, yeah, did. It, it, yeah, it did. It yeah, it won. After it turns like, out you can... You can get a lot done with $25. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I was really, really haste is good. Turns haste out. is good. <laughs> Drawing cards off of hitting things is good. Like it really is just like gruel Timna at a certain point. If you build it like that. Yeah. Um, but then I, so I built this $25 budget deck because of the group here in New York where I live. We all wanted to, to build a $25 budget deck and, and play them against each other in this little budget pod. And one of the players had built a Zagras Thief of Heartbeats deck. And it, that card, all the other, the text on it being what it is, the only line that really mattered for this guy's deck was other you know creatures you control have death touch. So he just put a bunch of pingers in the deck. And so when they when they ping, they, since they have death touch, they instantly kill. And so Samut was never actually able to get any kind of footing to get off the line and get the, the momentum it needed to win. So it was just interesting to to see the differences in the games. The first game I played with Samu, I played again with with the out of the box group crew, and it did exactly what I imagined it to do. But then I moved over to this group here in the city, and we played a couple of games. And I both we played two games, and both games was the exact same outcome. I just could never get off the ground, could never make anything happen. So it's just you know it, it goes to show the difference that a pod can make like the people in there, but also just the commanders that are in that pod. Cause had that, you know, that person brought any other deck, the, the, I, Samut would have played way differently. The game, the dynamics mm-hmm. would have been so different. So it was just fun. It's fun to see that happen. So I, I'd be curious too, if, I mean, what we end up talking about today on the cast about, about these decks um, that we haven't gotten it, been able to make work. I'd be curious to see if any of that is just because we play them in one to two metas. Mm, yeah. And there could be a world where, yeah, you've just you've squared up wrong or you've had bad games. So um I think that's it's pretty normal. And and Zagras is sweet. So it is a, it's I, I it's hard to get mad at it because it is a really cool card. <laughs> it's a really uh, cool Rakdos questing beast. They just make it yeah. a different version every time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, Jake, you 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 kind of keyed us into this topic today about decks that we never really could make work. So we're just going to go through and talk about each of us have brought two decks, whether it be a deck we've actually built physically or just we've brewed, you know, ad nauseum. We just could, we can never get it to go right. So we're going to talk through these. We each brought two. So Simon, let's start off with you. What's the first deck that you have just never really been able to get to work like you want it to? So it is actually one of my favorite cards um, in all of Magic. Mostly because the art is so cool. It's Rith the Awakener, but it's the From the Vault Dragon's art. Like, it's a promo. And dang. it! I I didn't love it until I saw the art. And then the art plus the text made me fall in love with it. But it's... Uh, Am I an Elder Dragon? Am I surprised? Essentially. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, right? It's three and Naya for Flying 6-6 six, six Dragon. Whenever Rith deals common damage to a player, I can pay two and a green. Then I choose a color like all the dragons do in that cycle, and I can put a 1-1 one, one green sapperling creature token and play for each permanent of that color. So it's kind of like a token spammy deck, mm-hmm. or at least that was my vision. Um, but I wanted to spin it a little bit because I'm obsessed with dragons. Um, 
And so it was a little bit also dragon tribal. So I had the scent of the dragons in there as a win con where I would make, you know, 10, 11 of these sapperlings and then just cast a scent of the dragons, destroy them all and replace them with four, four flying dragons. Right. I had dragon tempest to work well with that so that I could just be paying, you know, doing all kinds of damage to everyone. I had aura shards in the deck trying to, um, play a little bit more competitively because my commander it was the six mana to get a six six flyer but then you have to have an additional three after it makes combat hits a player for combat damage so i was trying to build it a little more competitively but it just was not working out i i think that i really struggled with trying to balance and maybe a lot of token decks do but it's things that make tokens versus things that buff tokens or the token you know doublers and things like that where i often realized either rith was coming down turn six and then not do anything and i wasn't really set up to get him to hit a player and then make a bunch of sapperlings or he was coming up way too late in the game and there was already fly- other flyers on board or whatever and so i really struggled to even make rith happen at all i think maybe Maybe because I played him a lot, um, but maybe only like a handful of times have I contacted with Rift and made more than five sapperlings, which isn't which isn't all that great. So it's a real bummer for me that it didn't work out, but I don't know. You know, I, something that just occurred to me um, while you're running through Rift is Quinton and I both have token decks. And mm-hmm. they almost do two halves of Rith. So Daxus, we talk about a lot, has a three mana cost to make the tokens. And Myrel has to go into combat to make the tokens. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of do, doing, a, doing a little bit of it. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if it, you know, if, if you want to continue working on that deck specifically, or if it's kind of just a, a one and done, you're kind of done with it. But I've found when making tokens or when my commander makes tokens um, with, so with my rail specifically, I don't have anything else in the deck that's making tokens. Um, I, I've just found a few angles that are synergizing with what she's doing. So she's the only yeah. creator, right? Um, I've got that's a, how Daxus is as well. It's the same she's way. the only one that, well, that's not true. I have the, the one that makes the four, four angels. The, what, with quest counters why i, know oh, I can't think of the uh, name the divinity counters or is it the it's the two mana angelic one right yeah it makes four four angels for two if you you know you don't get hit i don't know why sure. i can't think of the name off the top of my head okay. i'm sure someone's yelling someone's in, mad you know, yeah yeah <laughs> every part i listen to i'm like how do these people not know this this card it's obvious right right um but with with my rail so she makes uh, artifact tokens and so i have a few things that either care that the tokens enter or die or care that artifacts enter or die. And so there's things that synergize without being too much of a branch off. So I know that you said you were, you were trying to turn them into dragons, which I'm, I'm all about doing, you know, a, a weird, interesting thing that your commander doesn't necessarily read. Um, I would be curious if, if maybe you're able to focus on how do I make Rith do her thing? And then once I've got the package that optimizes her doing, is it her, Rith? Once I get the package that makes Rith do Rith's thing, then 
the synergies behind it or the, the, the things that, right. that care about those things, obviously mana intensive. Um, so there's some of that, that I, I'm not very good but at fixing that problem. Mana intensive being what it is. I feel like green, you're, you have access to green. And so you, you really can get past that mana wall. I, I just want to make sure I understand this. So the once you have dealt the damage, you pay the three, you choose a color. Is that for every permanent, like every permanent on the battlefield or just yeah. things? That, it's not just you control, right? No. Yeah. So if I chose white, I would get all of Jake's white stuff, your white stuff. Yeah. My white stuff, everything. Every Probably permanent. you should always pick white at our pod. Well, I, I think you should play painter's servant and turn mm. everything a specific color. Yeah, and then, true. and then all of a sudden it's, it's a barrier that's like really worth it to push for because yeah. you're getting a token for every single permanent that's in and, and you're in red so you can get your impact tremors and your yeah. and your things like that and that can be you know terrifying right it, it's it's one of those things that mana just the amount of mana holds it back but i think jake makes a really good point about one of the things you had made we have we have some notes that we made about the cast and you just said the deck kind of felt like it was trying to do too many things or a little bit all over yeah. the place not focused i think jake's recommendation is really strong is who cares about making tokens elsewhere? Just let Rith do the token making. Make and her then, do it well. Yeah. Yeah. Devote your resources to making sure you can hit and you have the mana to be able to activate and not worry about spreading yourself too thin to find other places to make that, you know? I'd yeah. say my rail, because she has to go to combat, I don't want her dying, but I have to send her to combat. Like in my deck, she basically reads attacks every turn if able, right? So to make that work, I've got all the protection, right? I have some evasion. Yeah. That yeah, that package true. allows the deck to do what it wants to do. It's not, you know, maybe I'm sacrificing some slots that I may otherwise be able to make there. I because I've seen a lot of my real lists that have a lot of the pip pip X make X soldier tokens. I maybe have one of those in the deck, but I've not found that that's what it wants to do. It really I found that in that deck specifically soldier synergies that are doing other things um and then my rail is the one that's making the tokens and then we roll with it um so i don't know if uh if riff is is the struggle really connecting because it isn't an attack trigger right it's a it's a it's damage. a combat damage and I, I yeah i wouldn't say i think it's connecting with the mana right because he's a flyer he's a six six not not everyone has a flyer all the time but but I don't know. You guys are getting me really on a Rith hype right now. Like that's what I, I have, that's what I hope happens in this episode. Is we all leave being yeah. like, all right, it's time to brew again. Let's yeah. go. I'm looking back at my deck list. First off, turns out I only had 34 lands, so that might have been the real problem. But uh, wow, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's never a problem. Ingrid. But, but yeah, I just I have all kinds of stuff that I'm actually looking forward to cutting now, and maybe I'm going to try Rith again. So sweet, that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Give it a give it a shot. I think I think you highlight something that's that we'll see maybe as a common thread at least for me is you, Rith caught your attention because of the artwork, and I feel like that's what Always. brings me back to oh. Commanders all the time. Is you're like, man, this this card looks like, so can this cool. sit in my command zone because you'll yeah. say people will say, oh yeah, well you can still play the card in the ninety nine. I'm like, I don't want it there. Like, I <laughs> right? don't. I can't sit and stare at it when I'm when I've been decimated and I have nothing right. going on. Like at least then I can look at a cool piece of art or a cool character that I care about. So I think that's. Oh, yeah. I think we'll find that with some of the other things. I, um, I have one one other thing real quick, and it maybe is a theme throughout. But when you're uh, on the painter servant line when there is a specific card that you think will 
improve the deck. I don't think there's a, in my opinion, I don't think there's a problem getting tutors in there to see if that's the case. And then as you flesh the deck out, if you put, because I mean, we don't really run a lot of tutors here. Um, I think a lot of playgroups seem to want to have that variance, but when you're testing, mm-hmm. does this make the deck do its thing? You don't want to play 10 games before you ever see the card. So, right. uh, you know, and Painter true. Servant being a low cost artifact is good in your colors. So I, I would, I would even recommend figure out what those, you know, key cards are that you want yeah. and then run some tutors just to see if you can get them out. And I've also it. seen people like if they're testing a deck, just say, Hey, I would really like to try out this card. Are you guys okay if I have it in my starting seven or something like that? Just as like a sample as you're learning a deck. Cause if that came up in a game, I'd be like, absolutely. Like, I rather you now, you know, if you play and it I, and we, I want to test my it, mana crypt. Are you good with that? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> and then, then we start, you know, we started stretching a little bit, but you know, it's, it's, I think there's ways like, like you said, Jake, throw a tutor in there, do something to make sure you get a test it. Cause that's really what, it comes down to is when you're trying to make a deck work is you, you want to make it, you want to see it do its thing yeah. and you want to make sure you can see it do its thing sooner rather than later. So you don't spend like said, totally. 10 games trying to get there. So, and to the rest of the table, if, if you know, someone is testing a deck, just maybe pump the brakes a little. I, yeah. there, I think there was a game recently. Logan was testing a deck for the first time. And you so had a like, tattoo of Vol- Vorpal sword. I could have Vorpal sorted him, which is so hard to pull off. And I was like, I won't do it. I got to respect the brew. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. he killed me like immediately after stuff. So. <laughs> That's what you get for respecting the brew. <laughs> so jumping uh, over, Jake, talk to us about one of the decks that you brought that you haven't been able to quite get dialed right. Yeah. Um, and this, this is, uh, this one is kind of in a theme of decks. I've tried a lot of them, but uh, it's essentially trying my hand at five color without a true five color commander. So the, the one that's been the most, most brute is Kyodai. Um, that is from Kamigawa neon dynasty. It's a four mana three and a white for a legendary creature dragon spirit. Uh, it's a three, three flyer. It has flash, which is the most important part. Um, but then when it enters the battlefield, another target permanent can, gains indestructible for as long as you control Kyodai. And then the way it's five uh, colors is it has a five mana activation cost. So it's you pay Wooberg, get, and then Kyodai gets five, five to end a turn. Um, I don't know what this deck was printed for. It has to be for commander because of that activation, but I've not really seen any in the wild um, anywhere. And I, I mean, I love the art. That's obvious um, as we discussed, but I, I play mono white decks. I play white plus one color decks a lot. Um, and I love flash. I really think that in the past couple of years, I mean, flash has always been good, but flash has really given white a lot of its, uh, uh staying power that it's, I mean, there's been a lot of things white's card yeah. on ramp have gotten better, but flash is just a little toolkit thing. Um, and as we've talked about, I love protection and Kyodai says protect a permanent. It doesn't have to be mine. We I can get political, so the reason that it didn't work is partially because of how open-ended that ability is. And also because five color is open-ended like five color. I, I'm not limited to anything, right? I can play any card in that deck that is legal in commander. Yeah. It's really hard for me. Um, I've tried it. I, Cause and, and another thing is it can be gimmicky when I try to say, 
okay, well, I'm going to have all the permanents be white and I'll just have a five color mana base to get the activation to alpha strike someone. It, mm-hmm. it just feels like I'm jumping through so many hoops for what, and what's the payoff. So either I'm open-ended because it's five color and it's hard for me to build a five color that feels cohesive. And that's probably a me problem or I don't think I, it's, I don't think it's a just you problem though. Right. Like I think that's pretty normal is when you, the, the more colors you get into, the harder it is to find focus and a lane for the deck because you're just pulled and attracted kind of by all the staples that exist outside of that. And so yeah. that's something I've noticed is I have brewed less and less and less of multicolored decks. I yeah. really slot myself into two colors max just because yeah, outside same. of that, it's it's hard to find a lane and you're all you feel like you get pulled in so many directions. So I don't think that's a just you issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, listeners, I've I've heard, you know, if you disagree, let let us know. But I mean, you see that some of the most popular commanders of the five and four color attracts has been at the top forever, right? So it's some people are doing it. <laughs> just right. know, it's hard. Yeah, I'm I'm currently in a build right now for four color deck, and I, I feel the exact same. And I think what has helped me kind of like tune the focus, obviously, and this is super simple, right? But it's really knowing what you want to do with the deck, right? Are you trying to have a flash deck or you know mm. if you really outline the okay, this is the deck then that can you can start cutting off. You're saying you before cutting, you even start grabbing cards, you choose the focus kind of thing. Yeah. Because I think that it, if I look through all my cards and I'm grabbing all the colors that work besides black, then I'll grab a ton of cards and I'll end up with a stack of 400 cards. And, you know, it'll be really hard to construct, but yeah. I think if I know what I'm looking for going in rather than blindly looking. And so I think that has helped me when i've built four or five color decks is really understanding what you want to do with the deck before you go ham and throwing all the cards in a mox field and you know yeah yeah that makes sense i also wonder if what could help is deliberately choosing cards that may not be the most optimal choice because if you're in five color and you you know you need some card draw you're going to go grab the best of the best. You're going to grab your Ristic studies. You're going right. to grab your wheel, you know, really strong wheel effects in red. But you could say, hey, I'm not going to play any cards that sit in the top, maybe 100 cards on EA track or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't, I don't know. That's not what I'm saying. You're going to need to make some exceptions to that probably. Yeah. But it could be cool to say, hey, I'm going to push myself outside of this deliberately so i can make a deck feel more unique because i think that's the other thing with five colors it just starts to bleed into and i think we're all this way we love unique decks that really speak to us and they're a personal reflection of what we build and what we want and if you just end up laying down a pile of staples and classic edh cards it doesn't feel like your brew. It just feels like you grabbed the best and ran with it. Yeah. And so I don't know that I, I think that might be helpful in the, the, the tension that comes with more colors. And, and it's so hard to cut, right? When you yes. have a cool, let's say it's, I don't know, dual caster mage, right? You have a cool flash speed, just cool effect. 
And then you're sitting over here with your smothering tie, the heuristic study. You've got reanimate just in case your commander dies. You want to cast for one, you know, like all these other cards that have all of a sudden like built up all kinds of yeah. yeah slots in the deck. You're like, I'm not putting a, I'm not taking dual, you know, I'm not putting in dual caster mage over my heuristic study, you know, like yeah. how could I, I would never, no magic player would do that. And you, you know, you're, you might be right. Like that wouldn't, isn't always the best choice but if you never take risk study to begin with you won't have that problem that's you fair. know i i'd be curious and we can talk about it in my second deck uh when we get there too because i have a similar issue of setting a very austere restriction that sounds cool in my head um but it really hamstrings the deck and you also want the deck to work right like i i've i yeah. brewed in the yeah. in the vein of five color decks i've brewed a um, the new Tazri that's activated abilities I'm like, okay, everything has to have an activated ability so we can have Zerda in the companion zone or um, Niv-Mizzet um, Supreme. Been, I'm building that one. And one of my maybe restrictions is what if every single instant sorcery is two colors? Like there's no, there is no, and what if every card is an instant sorcery that's two colors, but then there's always like five cards that scream if you don't play this with this commander you're dumb like <laughs> the commander won't work as good so right. how do you how do you navigate that yeah it's a it's a great question and something that you know might be deservant of an episode unto itself is exploring sure. this idea but i think about immediately my mind goes to caravac so i've i've got a a creatureless yes. caravac caravac deck that I love. It's a one I built this year and it has instantly found its place in the forever decks. Like it is so, so fun to play. And I think what helps with that is I'm rigid on that. It is truly a creatureless deck, but you find ways to break your own rule. And that's when it becomes really fun, right? Is I yeah. have battles. Battles are a huge addition to that deck where I now have the ability to cast a spell that will turn into a creature later or i have uh, i have man lands and i have artifacts that animate themselves into creatures like you find ways to set yourself rules and break your own rules in a cool way that people will say oh my gosh that's an activated abilities deck but you did these couple of things that are kind of cheeky kind of cool yeah. that that get around that a little bit um, throwing some cards in the head, just like cycling or something like that, that really are just a normal card, but it technically meets the requirements. And then you feel, it also helps you feel big brain. Cause you're like, I set this rule and I broke the rule. So I, I think that's something I found with Caravec that was really satisfying. Cause you're right. There were some cards that were like, these are must adds to a deck like this. You, you gotta have these. And a lot of them are creatures. Yeah. But I said, no, I'm not going to. And I found the deck doesn't need them. Like I, I've, I've managed to brew a deck that works outside of that. And that feels unique, personal and exciting. So I think that's something to think about is how to break the, break the rules that you set, but break them appropriately. Okay. I like that a lot. I actually think it might be interesting if we were to do a full cast on that to do build your own companion and like let's talk through those austere restrictions yeah. and if you meet them what would the companion of that restriction look like interesting yeah could be fun we'll put it we'll note it maybe yeah. a future add it, cast add it. yeah mine already is every creature has to be a dragon <laughs> shocker 
Shocker. Yeah, that's name like more iconic duo, Simon and Dragons. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's, yeah, what let's do you got? You yeah, let's jump into to my first deck, and this one, man, this one's near and dear to my heart. And even writing this name down on this list made me made me convinced that I could find a way to do it. <laughs> so the the theme for this almost was Amonkhet decks because for the longest time I've been trying to find a commander from Amonkhet because I love that block so so much but I've never found a commander that I love but the until now I recently we got Samu and that's why I yep. built Samu as my $25 budget deck was because I was like I'm doing it I need to get on Amonkhet they printed her in the really cool invocation frame with the you know now just normal text as opposed to I really like I actually really like those they're some of my favorite alt cards out there but Specifically, the, the deck I want to talk about is Temet, Vizier of Noctamoon. So Temet, 2 mana, 2-2, two, two, beginning of combat on your turn, target creature token you control gets plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn and can't be blocked. And then it has Embalm for 5. And so when you Embalm it, it comes back as a 2-2 two, two token with the same ability. So you kind of get a way to recycle your commander a little bit. It doesn't immediately impact the game because if Temet dies, it's probably just better to send him the command zone and cast him for four than to embalm him for five. But after a certain point, it does, you know, it, it does help you skirt around some commander attacks, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But I've brewed Temet in a couple of ways, and I'll walk through a couple of the ones that I've tried. The first one that I did, and this was probably two and a half, three years ago now, I built Exalted Tribal. So it was all about building a wide board giving a creature exalted there's an enchantment and an art and an equipment that do essentially that one gives it exalted one just says it gets plus one plus one for uh, each creature you control so Sigil that's what Valerie. I yeah yeah exactly and so that was the first attempt that I had at Temet was exalted tribal and it just didn't feel super exciting because I don't know why it just never resonated with me. I, I, it required you to have one of those two or one of there's a, it required you to find a way to give something exalted, make a token and then swing in. And so it was just a lot of disparate parts that didn't really feel cohesive to me and didn't feel exciting. And so I, I shelved it and then I came back to it later and was like, well, what if I do reanimator? Cause this embalm stuff is kind of cool. So what if I just lean into that and just build a white blue reanimator deck? But again, it just never really came together. I thought there was better options for white blue reanimator, which is a really cool archetype, but I just never felt like I was using Temet to his full capacity because truly his ability doesn't really synergize with that. And so it just felt like playing Temet for you know, playing Temet's sake as opposed to actually building the deck. And so that one got scrapped. And then I did, I went to just copying my own stuff, just, you know, making a bunch of token copies of cool creatures. And that was that. And that also never manifested because it just felt really boring to me. It was very basic. And the one that I've really, really, really tried to make work and I thought was the bet, the right idea, but then I realized what I wanted to do, it didn't actually work is there's a card called Astral Steel, which is a three mana instant. It says target creature gets plus one, plus two until end of turn and has storm. And so I was like, okay. The creature has storm? No, it's an instant. So it gives creature. Oh, you're, you're saying, I thought, it, I thought it gave the creature one, one and storm. And I was like, 
Okay. No, no, no. That's continue. Um, no, I just it's just a, it's got storm, it storm. Got and it. it gives creature plus one plus two. So I was like, what if I throw in cards like Orvar and Vesuvian Duplomancy and Song of the World Soul? And whenever I cast spells, I'm copying things and populating things. Um, and I had this whole thing built out, and then I realized that Vesuvian Duplomancy and Orvar, who are kind of the engines of the deck say whenever you cast an instant or sorcery if it targets one or more you have to cast it so i can't copy it with astral steel so uh, that was the entire genesis of the of the deck was trying to make this work and then temet gives something unblockable and like i was like this is it and then i realized it didn't work and so it's gone through so many different iterations but really why it didn't end up working was it just never really felt impactful enough and balms it's a embalms a really cool ability. I think the tokens look awesome because they come back mummified. I think they did a really cool job making those tokens. I like Temet as a character, but really giving only one creature token unblockable, it's a lot of work for a pretty low payoff for the most part. And then if you embalm Temet, he comes back. He doesn't track commander damage, so you can't even build like a Voltron package of getting Temet out, trying to sacrifice him and making him into a token so he can attack for free and try to Voltron in. Like He just never felt like he got there. And it, it's really sad because I, I, I mean, he's one that I still would love to brew, but just have never quite found something that excites me more than anything. And not that none of these decks, I think all of these decks could work, but none of them ever really got me excited and made me want to get out of the brewing stage and commit to the actual purchasing of the cards. Cause I've never, all of these have never gotten past the brew. They've always just stayed on a list in Moxfield and have never seen the light of day outside of that. Um, I was going to say uh, just a little side comment. I had a similar problem with the deck where I was brewing a Rem Carlos and trying to do sort of a, light stacksy but mostly how much burn can i one turn to one-sided burn and when i read that it was only off of spells after sinking so much energy into like enchantments like descent into avernus and like cool things like that like you said with uh realizing that your whole deck doesn't work the way you thought it did that's that really takes the wind out of your sails so yeah it really does because <laughs> you're like i want it to work this way so bad but it right. doesn't i think one thing to ask yourself in a deck like that is i mean because you've tried every angle so clearly you love temet because you're trying in so many different ways i mean the, one of the questions is do i love temet for temet's sake or do i love what some of these things that he might be able to do because if it's the latter there might be a different commander that does it better. Um, especially if what you're saying, you know, with, with regard to uh, a lot of it, not being impactful or, or like with the reanimator, Temet doesn't really serve a function. I feel like the decks that, that we love our commander is doing a lot and there's a whole lot of gelling happening with, it's not just this commander gives me access to these colors, right? We like the, yeah, commander to feel like it's holding the whole ship up. Yeah, you want it to be holistic. You want it to be the whole the whole package, and that's how Temet is for me. Is I want him to matter to the deck because yeah. I love Temet. The cards in the deck, I'll I'll find a ninety nine that makes me excited, 
if yeah. it works well with Temet and the ideas there, because he's the one that I like. I like him as a character. I think his art is awesome. I think his embalm token's super cool. And so it's him more than anything that I want to try and make work. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking at him. I keep and I kept thinking, like, man, what do you do to win with that? Right? Like, do you do you do that? You know, there's that white board wipe that makes a giant Phyrexian token. Like, do you make a 2020 and just yeah. give it unblockable? But then I thought you embalm okay. your Avacyn and you give that unblockable. No. <laughs> but you, there's no way to give creatures embalm, which is so, the part that's that's I, I there's no card like that. So here's what I'm thinking. So you play your card, you play Temet, you sack mm-hmm. him, let him die. You embalm him with some sort of a token doubler. Oh, you got to have mirror box or Sakashima, right? Sure. Which works. Which so, is in, in my current like weird storm or VAR list. I have a couple of those for, for that exact reason is maybe yeah. like copy Temet or something. And then recast him and then just keep populating. And then you have six Temets. You make five of them unblockable. I don't know. Right. But yeah, oh, because they all many... keep that same ability, right? They they would all yeah, have so that, or they could all make one bigger, you could say. But I don't know, like like a you could spread the unblockable. Around. Yeah, you could you yeah. could make your whole team unblockable. But bad. it has to be tokens, which is the other hoop to jump through. Is it's we only need Logan a... on the cast to how do you make cool tokens of your creatures? Yeah, well, I mean, there's ways to do it, like that, and that's one. Of, and I think the idea that's closest to working is this one that's like this Orvar. Uh, Vesuvian Duplomancy, Song of the World Soul, which says whenever you cast a spell, you populate. So it's this yeah. weird spell slingery, copying things, using Orvar to to make copies of things. Like I, I just imagine a world where you make a bunch of copies of Lin and Light Scribe, and as you cast and copy spells, you're pumping your whole board, and you kind mm-hmm. of like. But yeah. it's careful so, on the difficult track, but. Yeah, yeah, and and but I agree with that idea. I mean, you know, my Vadrock deck is essentially make copies of my cool stuff. Like that's uh, that's lane one, and it is fun. I would recommend copying your cool stuff. Yeah, so it's there might be something there, Simon. I agree with you. That's that's kind of the direction that my head was going. Was was kind of what you're saying is you know maybe making as many temits as you can or. Something like that. So you'd essentially, what does it cost to embalm him? Five. five. So you, unless there's, unless you Orvar him, and that's the way to make the first token, you'd need to pay two, right? And then get him to die and then embalm him. Yeah. So you'd want to see like, is there a smooth way to make that a reliable way to do it? Or do you need to just say embalm is a last ditch effort? I need to make, have another suite of make token of, of Temet. Yeah, um, I, I, you know. I, I do like Simon's idea there, though, with that, Jake, is if you can make 15 Temets, you can make your whole team essentially unblockable mm-hmm. as yeah. opposed to just a singular one, which just feels very, it feels very fragile, but it's, it's, it's feels better to have a wall of Temets that then make your whole world unblockable. So, yeah, man, I. I want to make it happen. There's also one of the cards that I love, love, love is Avon Wind Guide. It's a four mana two three creature tokens you control have flying and vigilance. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's just so. And the art's so cool. Is this bird? You know, this bird warrior, this Avon. It's uh, maybe I, I don't maybe know. there's something here. Again, thinking in the vein of my Vadrock deck, which we could talk about in a little bit. Um, 
when I had to retool it, one thing I did was sacrificing that full linear optimization where all my cards are getting me to the single goal. Mm -hmm. And I made like kind of two decision trees that aren't completely different, but that way, I mean, so if you're doing that with Temet, you'd have, okay, I need to build package a, let's call it 10 cards Mm -hmm. that give you the way to make Temet into a token. And then you've got 10 cards that are this Avon wins, whatever wind speaker that you just, uh, I don't remember things very well, but whatever that card is, yeah, even 10 of those things that aren't necessarily my copy targets, but they are doing good things to my Temet army or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that way also you're able to, when you're, when you're play testing the deck, you get to see maybe a sampling of two of those lanes. Um, And so you you can see like what's working. Oh, if I had more of that, that would work, you know? So, mm. well, may one day, one day a tenement will sit in my command zone, and I'll be so excited. But I, I go, well, we'll see. I've got some ideas. Maybe this, this, this gives me a little bit of traction. So we'll see. If we return to Amonkhet and they gave you a new tenement, well, tenement's dead uh, on Amonkhet. Okay. I mean, is anybody really dead on Amonkhet? I, <laughs> yeah, guess, that's, I, I, yeah. I guess that's fair. Man, what I do to go back to that plane, I. We didn't. I was. I was so hoping we get a little bit more of it in March of the Machine, but we mm-hmm. we really saw nothing of it. Yeah, which is which is so sad. But one day. So let's we'll always go back. It'll work. They, they always go back. It's yeah. That's how it goes. Let's jump. Let's jump back to you, Simon. And we talked about Temet probably as much as Temet's ever been talked about on a podcast <laughs> in the history of ever. He deserved it. Temet. I, <laughs> I, I want title. to figure this commander out. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll have to do like a, a a collective brew episode where we just sit and we all brew Temet together and, and find <laughs> a way. Or we'll do a brew off. Everyone bring a Temet deck and we'll play a four player pot of Temets. Um, That's but hilarious. Awesome. But Simon, what's what's the second deck that you you brought for us tonight? Um, so this is a deck. Uh, it's commander that's fairly new. I was super stoked about it. Ortheon, Hero of Lava Brink. It's from the Mar- March of the Machines. Simon, uh, doing the cast the Lord- is very familiar with. Yeah, Ortheon. Simon's <laughs> doing the Lord's work here, where he we have <laughs> Ortheon has come up in every single episode of the podcast so far, and I oh, think that's will, hilarious. I think it'll happen in perpetuity that we will always bring up Ortheon at some point. <laughs> well, this guy's awesome. I mean, how how couldn't you? So, right, we've talked about him, right? He's two and a tap to create a single token of another creature, sacrifice at the beginning of the next end step, or nine and a tap, create five tokens, sacrifice them. And I only read that bottom ability. I think it was, I don't know, the Timmy and me that's just like, dude, yeah, whatever it is, let's make five of it and kill everyone in one go. For nine mana, win the game, I'm in. You know, like one copy is good, five, so much better. Five so much better, you know, and, and, and one of my problems is one of the cards that I focused on is, uh, oh, it's that cap. It's the red Cavalier. Cavalier flame. uh, flames. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cavalier flame. Yeah. So he says when he enters the battlefield, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards. So I would hope to have a full hand or whatever, like six or seven. And it says when he dies, it deals X damage each opponent, each planeswalker, where X is the number of land cards in your graveyard. So I was like, if I make five token copies of that, I now have five on board. I basically wheel five times, pitch, 
you know, in, in Christmas land, 30, 35 cards, draw 30, 35 cards. And then it dies at the end step. And I smoke everyone for however many lands. I just pitched the yard, hopefully 12, 15 or 18. And so I focus the deck on effects like that, which are like really cool, but like just maybe. dies triggers. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Enter the battlefield and dies triggers, which was cool. But the one time I played him, I had just the worst experience. I don't, I think, uh, I don't even remember necessarily what happened. I think my mind has blocked it out and you guys were all there. So you guys <laughs> maybe remember, it was but garbage. it was just like, it was garbage. It was straight yeah, garbage. I think you, but you got mana screwed kind mana of screwed, early yeah. in the game. And so you never really got, you never really got off the ground and, that's that's a you know doom for disasters if you can never really get off the ground our decks have enough resilience and longevity that if you can't make it through that early stage and develop you're gonna be you know you're gonna be scrambling late game you know so yeah and and because of that you know i just left a bad taste in my mouth and now every time i think of them i think who on earth thought that they could pay nine and actually create five tokens of us you know like actually make it work so every time oh, i, I, think about I it, believe like, i believe in that ability that ability is uh, awesome. yes i think i think there's something to consider here is that if i'm not mistaken the reason the deck didn't work is because the experience that you had playing it was so bad right that yeah. you've pitched it there's definitely virtue in shelving a deck when it's not bringing you joy but definitely virtue in yeah. revisiting one I've, I've brought decks back to life after a year with a fresh set of eyes. And I think Ortheon specifically, uh, any deck that's copying things is only as good as the stuff it's copying, maybe mm-hmm. with some exceptions on just getting triggers for like Magecraft or whatever. But you may consider, let's make just a really cool, strong red deck with a lot of ramp because it's mana hungry, right? I'm doing my Jessica's Wills, I'm doing my Rocks, and I'm building a red deck that would perform okay if love if ortheon never hit the battlefield because when he does it's five times better or something like yeah. that maybe you know what i mean yeah it's yeah. five times better because <laughs> it makes five tokens you just have like a bunch of big dragons you're like yeah five times that many big dragons well, <laughs> you're, yeah, or whatever you, it is you win with scourge of alchis right because the five tokens is essentially right of replication so you're right i uh, you basically I just, could see it as a red deck with rider replication in the command zone at a premium yeah and but so I you, just you do whatever, and that's kind of open ended. But you just pick a lane and do it, you know. Yeah, but Jake yeah. brings a good point. If if a deck's not making you happy, or if you had a bad experience playing it, there's no shame in leaving it be. I think yeah. I, I remember I had a Doretti deck that I played a game with Jake, <laughs> and it just got so painful. Yeah, absolutely bodied. <laughs> that I just said, you know what. This one, this one's done, and it just never, <laughs> it never reached for for the listeners. This was also a deck that utilized Zagris and Death Touch esque effects. Oh, if I'm not, oh I think gosh. Zagris is in the deck. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, it probably was. Maybe that's my weakness. Maybe Death Touch is my Achilles heel, and I just need to like get some indestructible up in your does, deck suites. It's the the black archetype. Does that turn off? death touch for other uh, other players is that the one is that what it does oh archetype of uh yeah i don't remember it's uh it's it's theros you should know 
Yeah, I should have a categorical knowledge of all cards from Theros, but this one's escaping me. Yeah. So Simon, any any thoughts on on what you could do to to spice up Ortheon a little bit? Probably just play him again. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm looking at the deck, right? I even put a Dockside in. Like that's something I don't do. I'm like, no, I mean, Dockside's pretty good. I don't want to just win because of Dockside. But with Ortheon, I was like, I want to win because of Dockside. It could give me nine mana, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, it's, it's the same. I think I would say it's the same thing as the Tutors. Run a Dockside just to get the mana. You pull them later, but let's see if the deck can work if Dockside lands. Yeah. You got the new Dockside Dragon. That. No, mm, it's true. It's true. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's what I'm looking at. It's just maybe just running it again, honestly. Yeah, I think it deserves a run back. You know, I, I don't think it deserves a forever shelf. And it's archetype of finality for the record. Finality. It does take away Death Touch. So maybe I just need to have like a all deck. Have that. Yeah, have that in my back pocket at all times because, man. <laughs> sideboard <laughs> i've been crushed by death touch in my life <laughs> cool well jake let's jump to your deck number two all right uh we may not have a whole lot to say about this one it's it's uh if anything we'll just mourn together about it um because it's a lot of what we've already talked about as far as issues and solutions but yeah Velimachus Lorehold. i'm not the only one at the cast that thinks strixhaven gave the red white suite its best new facelift that it's ever had i think the lore hold school is so good you're talking to you're talking to a quintorius fanboy here <laughs> you're talking My to quintorius goodness. himself yeah it, it just it executed so well beautifully and, it, and the world having a school headed and built by elder dragons i mean they nailed it what they didn't nail is that velimachus has nothing to do with his school there's no yeah there's no graveyards and artifacts with him it's it's instants and sorceries but the it's, art is narset you know basically he's, right? he's kind of narset right and i think that was one of the problems he so for just to read him real quick he is a seven mana five red white uh legendary creature elder dragon five five flying vigilance haste he has an attack trigger uh trigger trigger um where whenever he attacks he looks at the top seven cards of your library and then you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to velamachus lore holds power from among them without paying its mana cost and you put the rest in the bottom of the library in a random order which is so like, a, why do they go to the bottom of the library like just throw them in the graveyard that's that's right, the entire that point of some lore hold yeah. yeah it almost feels like and I I can't really speak to this, but I wonder if that card existed as a mythic without a face, maybe in draft. I don't know. Yeah, and it was like something else. Make it what it is, because yeah, yeah it, it hurts, but the art is beautiful. And so honestly, good. it's probably top ten, maybe even five arts for me, especially that borderless. I like both, but um, the, it's just he's just a beautiful card. He's a Boros Elder Dragon that does honestly some strong things, but some of the the limitations why it didn't work um his his the spells he can cast are limited to five or less mana value unless you can pump him and so you start having to dabble in do i start adding pump spells is that what i'm trying to do equipment like what and he's seven mana so you don't have a whole lot of leisure to to get him ready before he starts swinging um you kind of gotta yeah. go at it and so the build that I, I kind of settled into there's, there's two versions, but one being 
extra combats. A lot of those are five mana or less. Mm-hmm. Um, turns into Narset. It's very linear. I think it probably works. I haven't actually built the deck. Um, but I, I have a hard time, and this is why I don't play CDH. I don't want my deck to do the exact same thing every time. Yeah. I, I, I like the variance, which means that I'm going right. to lose sometimes, right? Uh, just from a, this didn't do what it did last time. But I like that. And if all I'm doing is get to seven mana as fast as possible, start swinging, and basically I'm rolling dice to see if I hit an extra combat in those top, uh, whatever it is, seven. That's, mm-hmm. I didn't love it. And then the other version of him was kind of a Caravec thing. And I think it's where I would end up if uh, if I ended up building him. It was a Velomachus Lorehold, all spells. So there mm-hmm. were no permanents in the deck. So what that allowed me to do was always hit. But it didn't see the light of day. I just haven't. Yeah. Maybe it deserves a, a test run, but all the ramp has to be uh, rituals. All the everything has to be instants and sorceries. So um, again, even if I pull that off, I don't know what the deck really wants to do. Like what do, what spells do I want to cast for free? Right. Yeah. So that's kind of where it is. And we talked about some of that linear and, and path choosing, but. I mean, if you have any other ideas, I, I'm kind of stuck with them. So, yeah, it definitely feels like one of those ones where the the art is is so beautiful it pulls you in. But it makes me think of there's an article that was written. It was published on Hipsters of the Coast, which is a, a great website, and the 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 author is Travis Norman, and he, the the article is titled "Appreciation Without Ownership," and it's an exploration of a, you know a story of his where he saw some secret layers with really cool art was really tempted to buy them put them in a, put them in his cart bought them but then sat on it for a week and actually ended up canceling his order because it was this idea of i don't need to own the card it doesn't need to be something but i can still appreciate it for what it is i can look at it i can enjoy it i can love it but i i don't have to have my own hands on it and so that's kind of where like that that's where my head goes with something like Velomachus is and and Temet and maybe Rith. I don't know. Like a lot, maybe a lot of these decks is it's one of those things where you you see it, you love the idea of it, but maybe it's okay just to love the idea of it and let the idea be the joy as opposed to actually trying to to push it and force it to execution. I love that actually because I've had it uh, and what where it sits right now is in a semi-transparent boulder at the front so that i can at least look at it yeah even if i never play it so eh, I, I like that yeah i i would highly recommend going back and giving that article a read it's it was it's one that has actually has really shaped my thought process and relationship to the game as well um and it's it's part of what inspired me i i wrote an article over on our Substack page about defoiling Daxis and the pursuit of simplicity, how transcendentalist ideals have kind of found their way into my relationship with magic. And it was Travis's article that really inspired me to, to start that path. So Hmm. highly recommend giving it a read. Now, that being said, maybe there is, maybe there's a a way that that Velmachus does find, find the light, but I, I, I thought it was just an interesting angle to say, you know, Maybe your love for Velomachus is truly just is the art. And if everything else in the card doesn't excite you, then 
let the card be an art piece and like look at it, but maybe it doesn't have to be a deck, you know? Yeah. Or even, yeah, even find room for it in another deck, right? I think, okay. obviously, I'm <laughs> thinking of Vadrock. I think it would be so cool for Vadrock to mutate on the Velomachus and then swing and cast that. something, you know, like, <laughs> like I feel like that does drive with the deck, but secret, also secret commander Velomachus and actually not a bad idea. Thank you. No, um, but also I think what that would help you do is also be able to see Velomachus in play. Like, what? How often does he really whiff? Even if the deck's not totally attuned for his ability, right? Or, or you can actually feel because I, I don't know. I think vigilance, flying, and haste are three very good keywords to have on someone that wants to attack, you know, because he'll be a blocker yeah. or whatever. And so I think actually actively finding ways to play that card will help you, even yeah. if it's not your commander, but it's just another deck, help you see, oh, so if I do build the deck while well, every time I play him, he is so good at, you know. He, that's, a, that's a good point, um, getting him out there. I will say my my brain just like got tickled thinking about if I'm able to run the duplomancy route get multiple lore Velomachus lore holds and just get through my deck. Vadrak mm. likes that. We this, is why we, this is why we have stuff like this. This is why multiple brains make so it. We, I will both frame him on a wall for Quentin's idea and I will also put him <laughs> in Vadrak and see if we can't do some silly I, stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you have multiple copies. That's not going to be an issue for you. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, guys. I, I uh, we'll, we'll circle back to that uh, maybe in a couple of weeks. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. Q, what do you got? Yeah, let's jump to my last one. So my last one is less of a deck itself, but more of an archetype that I've never been able to make work. And make work here is maybe construed in a different way because I have been able to make the deck work, but I don't like how it works, if that makes sense. So to get outside of the crypticism that I'm saying here, I'm talking about storm decks. So I've built a lot of storm decks over the, over the years. I love storm. I think it's so, I, I, I think it's so cool to watch, especially I love watching 60 card competitive storm. The lines that these players find, especially like in legacy, we talk about Ruby storm. We talk about the Epic storm, these, these really classic legacy decks man it's fun to watch these people figure it out but there's other other versions that i've seen people play i've seen people play like gruel storm decks that go off with a progenitor ooze and these things they're just so cool to me and i want to make it work but i've always struggled to make a storm deck that feels uh that feels fun and enjoyable for the whole table to participate in because they tend to be really time dominating by one player and so and that's been my experience. So the first real storm deck that I built was Prosper. And as we all know, Prosper the is monster. cracked and then some. And I played it really early on. So before everyone had really discovered that Prosper it was our was, first pre-con league, right? It was our first pre-con league. We had never like people knew that Prosper was going to be good, but this was the era where everyone was figuring out how actually good Prosper was. And so he was one that just was so consistently doing his thing that I would be able to almost I prosper had an insane win rate because he generated so much mana, so much card advantage. I would cast a fevered suspicion, then cast like eight spells. And then I would just, at that point I would just go off and I would 
I would be able to storm through my deck. And it was, it was, you know, paper stakes at that point. It was, it was so easy. Um, so that one can ended up being too powerful. It just felt, it felt way too consistent and not what I wanted, which is funny to say that, you know, a deck that didn't work was because it was too powerful, but that's what it was. It was the, it was the deck was too, too good at what it was trying to do. So then I started after that, I've had an obsession with building a storm deck. I've have been, I had an obsession with storm for longer than that, but I mean, we even saw it in Temet. I tried to build a Temet storm something, <laughs> right? Like I try to slam storm into everything I can do. But other other ones and ideas that I've had is just more based off of some cards that I really love. Uh, one one of them being Songs of the Damned, which is a one black instant that says add black for each creature card in your graveyard. So I thought of, well, maybe I do like an, an Anji Falcon Wrath loot through my whole deck, fill my graveyard with a bunch of um creatures and then cast song of the dam to do this all again kind of based loosely off of cycle storm from it's a popper deck that's really cool it uses that to really awesome effect so that was one that i was like well maybe i can make that work but it just it felt too long-winded to just like you have to get so many creatures in the graveyard and using something like anji would take so long to do it because you have to do it one at a time which i think is the downfall of storm decks generally is you have to play through it they're usually non-deterministic combos. And so you have to play through it because it could fizzle at some point, which is why I like Storm because I don't like just a true infinite combo. You know, you could do Grinning, Ingus, and Bergy and go infinite really easy and Grape Shot. That's not what I like. I like the experience of churning through to see if you can make it happen. But Anji just felt like it was too long to get there. And I haven't really found another place for Songs of the Damned to, to fit. But that's one that inspired me. Another one is is Ride of Harmony. Whenever a creature or enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, this turn draw a card. And so I I brewed around Hamza and doing like a colorless Hamza deck because if you can get enough plus one plus one counters, you can just start casting creatures for free. Draw a bunch of cards, and just keep looting through your mm-hmm. deck. Cast a big Ave and you know Concordant Crossroads win the game or something like that. I don't know. It seemed really cool to me. But seems it, like it would work. You should do it, that one. It seems and like it's it would an elephant. Work. Um, it is an elephant, but it, it's one of those ones that I was I'm hesitant to build because it requires so much. You have to play into the board so much to make your spell based, you know, your your quote unquote storm spell based combo work that it, it feels really it feels really susceptible and really loose. That if you, you know, if you get blown out one time, you're in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, so that's yeah. the issue there. The last one that I, I just recently brewed this and I ran it through the absolute ringer was Bard Class Storm. So Bard Class is a one of the class enchantments from Forgotten Realms. And it allows you to discount the cost of legendaries by red and a green. And then it has this final ability allows you to exile the top two cards of your library whenever you cast a legendary spell. So basically the deck is just packed full of cost reducers and really cheap legends that you can just cast. You know, you basically, if you can get bard class on, you can cast your whole deck easy. But the critical piece is if you can get bard class on the <laughs> battlefield. So it's so like th- this is the conundrum I've gone through is I've I've tried to brew storm so many different ways but have just felt really constrained by what Storm is and that it can monopolize an entire game and make it not fun for the whole table. So 
that's that's the battle that I've gone through with Storm. And it's one that maybe I just either A, need to get over the fact that it is going to monopolize. And if I want to play it, just, you know, play it sparingly so it doesn't become arduous and like frustrating for the table or B, find a way to, you know, to to speed up the Storm and not let it drag on forever. I don't know. So, yeah, an archetype more so than anything. I just haven't really been able to make work how I want it to work or in a way that is fun for everybody. Yeah. I I am one who doesn't play Storm, but having watched Jake play Storm a bazillion times, I, I will agree that it can be hard for the rest of the table. And I think to me, the hardest thing, so as you're continuing on this journey to complete Storm or, you know, in your way, um, I, it is hard for me when someone's storming off and they don't know their play lines. So they're like, wait, I got to read through everything. I got to think about this. Yeah, and then yeah. they cast yeah. the draw spell and they got to think again. They're like, okay. All this new information. Again. Yep. And it's like, so, so, yeah, I, I think a storm player needs to know their deck very well so that at least they one can of the be most fast. pilot. It's probably one of the most pilot dependent archetypes, if I'm not mistaken. It's yeah, which is why it entices me because it is a challenge. It is a puzzle yeah. that because mm-hmm. it's non it's it's not deterministic. Like I said, you have to you have to think about all the cards that are in your hand and be like, I need to sequence sequence this properly because if I don't. I could fizzle. And that's what yep. I like about it is it really is pilot dependent because you could ha- hand that same pile to somebody else or the same, you know, the same exact order mm-hmm. of cards and they probably they might not make it through. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I have, and I've alluded to that. I fixed your storm problem. I probably haven't, but I fixed my storm problem. And we may, I think we have a, a maybe some different uh, desires with storm at the outcome, but, as a fellow storm lover, um, I found a few things specifically when talking about my Vadrock apex of thunder deck. Um, I, we talked about on the first cast when I accidentally went infinite, um, non-deterministically on mm-hmm. Logan's turn mm-hmm. took a long time. It was a huge turnoff. Um, and, and it wasn't the first time that it had gone infinite, but this was kind of like the, okay, we need to reassess this. Um, I found that storm is a lot better on our, on arena. Uh, just because yeah again you're not taking a whole pod's time you're also the computer's doing some of the speeding it up a little bit right unless you unless you crash the game that's actually that's the secret win yeah (laughs) it manages all your triggers for you and hopefully you can make enough triggers to right uh, force arena to kick you out yep that's and then you win but uh so one thing that I found was I was looking at Storm and I said, okay, what am I trying to accomplish? If I'm trying to just cast everything in my deck or go infinite, maybe not. Because you can go infinite, like you said, Fergie, Gritting, Ingus. And it's not hard to it's go It's not infinite. hard. So if, if we take that off the table, the, I think the two things that, that I wanted out of Storm was either pulling off this really cool engine that keeps going till it wins, mm-hmm. which takes a long time and can be non-deterministic often it is or i wanted to do very big flashy explosive plays with storm like i wanted to make my my one piece of cardboard go a few times and what i first actually noticed that it was possible or or where the idea came from was actually logan's 
um shoot what was that on hello the painter is it the painter mm-hmm. on hello who paints um he's one of the uh, pre-cons from uh streets of new capenna and he has a, a a little light storm but it's it's capped right it's yeah i think it's the first spell he casts has um casualty two or whatever so he can yeah. he can essentially get to uh, get a second copy just for the sacking a, a creature with power two or, or greater um he would do that and he'd have a couple other pieces to maybe copy something three times um but it was never okay i'm casting this copying this bouncing this casting this copying this churning through my deck finding my grape shot fi- or yeah, whatever it, was, it right? was never intended to be the the way to end the game just a medium right. to get you to the end of the game and what was cool is the cards he played were cool right it wasn't just yeah. this card is very hyper efficient because i think one thing in my magic experience is i want to love playing my cards Sometimes right. it's the whole deck holistically. And so you have some of those efficient cards that are just whatever, cantrip, B and everything. But with Vadrock, I've been able to actually mimic a little bit of that where I'm not going to go infinite. I don't have a lot of those infinite lines that mm-hmm. allow me to bounce Vadrock, put it on a dock side back down, mutate, keep it going. But it's more of, I can probably copy Tasha's Hideous Laughter five times and that's enough. Yeah, And it's cool. It, it leaves a story. Um, and a lot of the bones of the deck are similar. So you do feel like I'm still building a storm deck, yeah. but you've kind of put a ceiling on how much storm you can do. Um, I don't know how it would translate to some of the decks you've practiced through sure. like bard class. I don't know if it translates, but having that idea of if my goal is not to eventually go infinite, but if my goal is to copy something five times, then that's maybe you just ensure that whatever you're copying five times can win the game. So like like the spell that you copy or the spell that you storm with only needs so many very, you know, iterations to actually win the game. Like you said, like Tasha. Then you're you're saving time. You're, you're not doing the things that you don't want to do, but you are still getting a taste of that storm. There is a card actually that I think is worth looking at versions of this card. It's from, the new Lord of the Rings set um, display of power. It's three mana. So it's, it's going right into Vadrock, but mm-hmm. it's an instant that says this spell can't be copied and spells that have that clause. I would normally not put in a storm deck, but they've been printing some of them that are decent enough that if you can have those in there to cap you a little, this one actually says copy any number of target instant or sorcery spells, and then you can choose new targets. So you could yeah. essentially get like a decent stack or get a couple spells or even just one. Um, or maybe you, other players are doing things. You cast this spell and you're capped. That one's not copying, but you're doing this mini explosion, right? So cards like that, maybe um, it's a way to do it. But Yeah, that's one that, you know, maybe maybe it is. You had said this, like it's it's easier on Arena. Maybe it is better just to let that be a, a you know, a forum that lives in a different in a different format but maybe there's maybe there's a way to do it like you said i think there's making sure like making and finding a way to to cap your storm in a way that still allows you to win the game but doesn't require you to have to have 25 storm to get you there right so yeah that's one that's one to think about but I, i we've talked about a lot of really cool decks kind of all over the board from too linear to not linear enough to love the art don't love the play style to 
you know, it's it's just not fun for people. Like I think there's so many reasons why decks don't make it past the stage of brewing or get to a table one or two times or ten times and then get ultimately retired or change as you try to to, to refine it. But ultimately, commander's about having fun and playing what you like. And so sometimes if a deck isn't perfect, that's fine. Or sometimes if a deck doesn't work, that's also okay. And you just, you know, you can, like, like, like that article talks about, you can appreciate it. You can love it without actually having to have it be something. Um, but that's what we have for you all today. We appreciate, we glad that you joined us tonight. Uh, hope you enjoyed the cast. If you want to see more from us, we this is episode number four, so you got other episodes you can listen to. We have the Substack, which has a lot of great articles, um, some deck building series, some more philosophical things. So check that, check out the Substack. We are also on Twitter, Out of the Box MTG. We're always we're trying to be active as as much as we can on there. So if you have ideas of of how to make these decks work, re, you know, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Maybe you've got the idea that we'll push one of these decks over the edge to to get them into into reality or to bring them back from the brinks of death. So, um, but yeah, again, once again, thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.